0: This is The Sidebar, a podcast by the New York Association of Black Journalists, where we'll be focusing on black excellence. Our guests today are Mr. and Mrs. Byron Lewis, a couple who in their respective careers have each left their marks on journalism and media. Mr. Byron Lewis is the founder of Uniworld Group, a multicultural advertising agency. And Mrs. Sylvia Wong-Lewis, journalist, is founder of Caribbean Life Newspaper formerly known as Caribbean American News. She is also the founder of Antillean Film Festival and Narrative Network. Please welcome Mr. Byron Lewis, founder of UniWorld Group, the longest operating multicultural marketing and advertising agency, and his wife, Mrs. Sylvia Lewis, founder, publisher, and former editor of Caribbean Life Newspaper, formerly known as Caribbean American News a free community news publication and founder of Auntie Land Films and the Auntie Land Film Festival. Welcome to you both. Thank you so much for being here.
1: Hi. Hi. Nice to meet you.
2: Good to be anywhere.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I guess you heard Byron celebrated his 91st birthday on Christmas Day. So we are happy to be somewhere. And we're we're always grateful to wake up every day.
0: Yes, and happy belated birthday to you, Sarah. (laughs) So in talking about Black excellence, I'd like to begin with you, Mr. Lewis, and understanding how you built a career in advertising and why. You began your business over 50 years ago at a very unique time in American society. My first question to you is, how did you attempt to live so boldly pursuing a career and then a business in an industry at a time when Black people were not considered very much at all in society and particularly in advertising. How did you go about
2: me Let me start at the back. Uh, That's why I started a company. Uh, Frankly, uh, I did grow up in a church, so I believe in good luck and being blessed. And I was blessed because I grew up in South Jamaica and the major, well, I would say, cornerstone of our black community was the church, uh, Brooks Memorial Church, started out when you went down the stairs, and then it got bigger. And I had the benefit of being in the choir, and listening to a really magnificent speaker every Sunday. When I got a little older, And I had managed, I had managed to graduate from Long Island University, which is downtown Brooklyn. And we were drafted right after we got out of college. And when I got out of college, it was a very difficult time for Black people because it was about the only place that I saw in my limited time where there's a chance to get ahead. And the other thing was that it was the first chance I had to travel. And I remember going to Fort Knox, Kentucky. First time I'd ever been in the South. Although I grew up with people who were from the South. Uh, But the truth is, when I actually saw more of black experience, black life. It started there in Louisville, Kentucky. It started my real exposure to racism Uh, from Louisville. I went to uh, Fort Benning, Georgia, which is in Atlanta. And after that, I went to Alaska in the military. And I really got a chance to see both white and black people, all stages, I would say, of endeavor. But when I went to the South, I was exposed to kindness, uh, to concern for me as a person, because when I went South, I happened to belong to a black fraternity, a mega sci And everywhere I went, there was a church, there were brothers, black guys in the same fraternity. And uh, it really positioned me to do something. I don't know what it was, but there was a minister in the church and I also was in Alaska. And he spent a lot of time with me because he was black, but the lifestyle was soon apparent to me as I went from one black city to the second black city, to the third black city, and then Alaska. And I also was in good shape to hear real preaching, to really get a look at people of color, because in addition to blacks, We had a few Latinos, but I really saw the Black community in a way I not, I would probably not have seen otherwise. And everywhere I went, it was just like being at home. They'd invite me to dinner. Uh, They would make sure that I got back to camp on time. But I also saw the other side, which was racism and basically seeing firsthand what it was like to live in the South. So that that shaped, I would say, a great deal of my growing up. And when I got out of the Army, and I forget the exact date, uh, I was able to go to college because the military paid for it. And I was able to see things about me. And one of them was, I realized I was talented, but talented in a way that I saw people, regardless of their color. And I also was lucky enough, when I got out of the military, I I was lucky enough to join a fraternity at Long Island University, Omega Sci-Fi. And I basically got a degree in journalism, but I had a much broader background than that. And I remember one thing that I did learn in um, in college. I had a course, and the course was about speech theater. And I liked both of those areas, particularly the theater part. <laughs> so It said, the great speakers in this country are black preachers and we're talking about the civil rights movement and you probably know more about it than i do because you're young and you've basically seen a lot but anyway one course told me everything and they said speech is something important that you'll need in your public life whether you're a journalist you got to write something first before you preach it. And I actually used to see my preacher do that because he was around during the week. And he said that the greatest preachers are black preachers. And the way it went is you got to tell the people what you're going to tell them, tell them, and then tell them what you told them. And that's been my motto, because, frankly, I don't have a skill, I, I know a little bit about a lot of things, but being on my feet is really something that I found out, not only was I good at it, I was superb. And that helped me entirely in all my dealings with having back a black staff, Uniworld for a long time was the oldest. In the largest black advertising agency. But I did more than advertise because I found out there were other other things that existed. So one of the other situations where I was exposed to greatness, many of them happened to be preachers. And this was in Harlem, Adam Clayton Powell, frankly, being around actors. (laughs) And I was interested in all those areas. Journalism is a very big term for just basically understanding media, understanding audiences, and being able to convey ideas. And I'm pretty much, that's pretty much how I got here.
0: Thank you for that. And is there any part of your career journey that you feel you would do differently, or are you or are you totally satisfied with how how you went about it?
2: No, I could do better because a lot of the early early um experience I had, <laughs> I used to go to work in the morning. I used to work in a department store. And I would open up the department store. This is in South Jamaica. And it was Gertz, which is a big department store at that time. And so I got a job. First job I had was I was a steward. I opened up Gertz, and I worked in the sort of the area where the products came in. And then the kitchens were there, and then the waitresses were there. And so I got a good meal to get started. And then the subway was right there, so I went to LIU around noon time, noontime. and then I was in, uh, actually, my, my major was, ma- uh, was journalism, and I would take those courses, and then I also took night courses back at uh, the college. So I feel that I've been very lucky.
0: Is advertising or marketing a career field uh, young people or even experienced people of color should still be considering? And if so, why or why and
2: why now? I think they should find out who they are first. I benefited from being in the Army. I benefited from seeing the power of speech. Uh, The military is a very important place to be. Uh, Number two, I don't know if the young people are going to have this experience, but I was in the South, when the South was really in the middle of the civil rights area, and I've been around great orators, um, being people who could speak on their feet and to put an important idea in front of people. And then to experience what it was like to live under slavery. And I call it slavery because that's really what it was. And the army, uh, you know, prepared me for that. But I did know what I wanted to do when I got to college, Long Island University. I wanted to do everything. I took the courses that made sense to me. Uh, But I stopped out of journalism because I began to realize I could not cover news at night, like you live in New York City, (laughs) Uh, the things that happened at night, the police department, and then I couldn't go back to work in the morning at seven o'clock. So I made a choice. I was a passable journalist, but I feel I was more effective based on understanding what the property problem is, and finding a solution, which could be in any number of ways. And the truth is that I would say in my career, I'm very proud of being able not only to sell a client, but say, for example, I work for the Ford Motor Company, and every year we had to present our ideas. First, we had to convince the people for Ford, that there was a market for Ford, and I learned something real interesting in the process, that Ford was the first company to advertise in the United States that there is a job waiting for you at Ford for Black people, and I remember making presentations to the entire Ford marketing company, the president on down, making a case for not only hiring people of color, but providing other avenues of opportunity beyond working on the floor, just making. And that really helped me make friends with the Ford family. Um, because not only did I have to sell uh, every day, I had to sell top management, and that took a great deal of time. And then at the end of every year, we're introducing new models. I would make this presentation, uh, look at the kind of work we were doing, television commercial, to the whole body of, of people working on all the brands. So I feel that my background was ideally a combination of journalism, marketing, understanding where the new opportunities, the new opportunities were black people. Uh, you would be surprised how little they knew about black people. You would be surprised what the guys on the on the line were the everyday people who the company had targeted from the south, and then I saw black people the door open a little, But to be candid, I was my best company's spokesperson.
0: Okay. Well, thank you for that. Now, for you, Mrs. Lewis, I have a few questions for you. Uh Uh-huh. So you became a journalist, and you went on to create your own newspaper uh, nearly 30 years ago, the Caribbean Life Newspaper, formerly known as Caribbean American News. My first question to you is, when did you realize that you wanted to create the uh, Caribbean Life newspaper?
1: Okay, so when I created the uh, Caribbean American News, it was out of desperation of not finding a job in journalism. As you may know, um, I was uh, a pioneer Black woman journalist, I guess, in 1970, as I mentioned that uh, myself and journalists back in 1970, and uh, also even Byron's company. We were the people who started NABJ. And um, so I had been a journalist before I started the Caribbean American. But it's still today, as I understand that the the, um, media news outlets are still very much segregated. They still don't really hire that many Black journalists, writers, and editors, and reporters, and managers, and that and so anyway, so I you know how they say well if you can't find a job invent one. So um I, that's what I did. I decided to start a newspaper um based on I had been uh, working at the Oakland Tribune and I moved back to New York, got a divorce from my ex-husband who's also a journalist and I saw that um I had been out of New York for at least 25 years, I had already worked at the Boston Globe. I had already worked at the Oakland Tribune, at San Francisco Chronicle, the San Francisco Examiner. I was already a professor of journalism at Holy Names University. So I feel like I had a real background in journalism, of course. And so, but I didn't, I was not a publisher. So that was where, um that was where um, you know the learning curve was for me. But like Byron was saying that you find out what you can do and what you like and what you're capable of. I knew I was a very uh, good speaker. I knew I was very persuasive. I knew I was already a very good salesperson. I was an Avon lady. I know he had <laughs> Avon as one of his <laughs> clients. So I knew I could sell. You know, that was no problem. I always worked in uh, places, uh, sales positions. So it was quite easy for me to find um, advertisers uh, for my new community newspaper. And the other thing was that uh, and I'm half Caribbean and half Southern. So my mother's people is from Trinidad and Guyana and my father's people are from Mississippi and Louisiana so a little chinese yeah my mother's a chinese trinidadian yeah <laughs> so um anyway so when i started the caribbean american the reason why i started that because i felt like i could cover the whole um diaspora uh, black community and caribbean community at the same time because i was very much interested in in uh you know the black community and what i call you know the multi our multicultural community so um anyway so i i wanted to do that and um and also the caribbean community had exploded since i had been living in new york i left new york in 1970 and then i moved back to new york in the 1990s and it seemed like the caribbean community had really exploded so that's why i made my emphasis as uh, the caribbean americans because there were a lot of us say who came from caribbean families and living here in new york and so that was uh very exciting for me so you know to say how why did i do that to this it you know wasn't really starting from scratch it's, and is what byron was saying you find out that you have these skills these interests these passions and capabilities and you, you as time goes on you figure out a way to make it work. But basically I could not find a job in journalism in any news any of the local newspapers. I had freelance work here and there, but I really wanted a job. So I invented one. So that's how that uh the Caribbean American got started.
0: Hey. Thank you for that.
1: uh uh-huh. You're welcome.
0: Would you say was it a difficult for you when you decided to start the newspaper or did you find it you know, was easy even, even with your skill set that you were able to just well, do it you
1: know? Yeah, um, I found that uh my strength being journalism and writing and editing and the story looking for stories that was my strength. Um, I found that um uh the uh and it was a, a free community newspaper so that meant that it depended totally on advertising to support it. So I found that it was a learning curve for me. It was not easy; it was very challenging and interesting. In fact, that's how I met Byron. I met Byron um, at, at the at the West Indian Day Parade um, uh, media sponsors dinner, and he, my newspaper was a tiny uh, sponsor of the parade, the one that happens in Brooklyn every year, uh, Labor Day, and his agency. Was one of the uh, me, was the media sponsor of the whole parade, and um, that's how we met. We met on a um, on a food line, on a dinner food line there, and um, and then uh, actually um, working with Byron's agency, I learned how to strengthen um, the things that advertisers want from a media. And back then, uh, as I mentioned, this is pre pre uh, internet or pre you know like my newspaper you really can't find it unless the ones that are scanned into the system that I might have scanned on my blog so in order to prove where your readers are you had to um you had to be audited and that's something that you know we take for granted now because the, di- the digital space automatically audits how many copies you have how many readers you have all of that that's almost instant but back then, you had to really prove to a, a, a corporate sponsor or to an advertiser where your readers were, how many readers you had, and all of that kind of stuff. So that I learned that in the old school way, and I learned a lot. I learned a lot uh, from working with Byron's agency and the people that um, you know we were trying to uh, um, for the the ads that we you know could qualify for. So it was it was hard. It was hard. And, uh, and I did go out of business. Um, And and I'll tell you, I'll tell you a few things. It's like people will tell you things like, okay, uh, say I sold a quarter, a quarter uh, page space in my newspaper, and that goes for a certain price. And um, the local company that bought the ad will say to me, well, you know what, Sylvia, the, the ad didn't work, right? Now, this is the kind of thing that maybe just happened to women, or I don't know, minorities, I don't know, you know, somebody (laughs) going to have a contract with you for a quarter paid space for a certain amount of money $1,500, you owe me $1,500, but you're going to tell me now, oh, it didn't work. So, (laughs) then, then the person said, well, uh, look at your office, you need something, you know, so I said, oh, really, I said, I need my money, you know, and they said, well, You know you need a sign on your window you need carpet on your floor, so I said Okay, so this is bartering, Okay, you heard about bartering right, so I did a little bit of bartering. I said Okay, I do need a, a sign in my window I do need carpet on my floor Okay, so that's part of the price, but you still owe me some money, you know so that's what I mean, so I had to. dally into that, and I was telling Byron about that I said when you go in when you I learned the hard way that. You know, when you have a contract and it's for money, get your money, you know, don't barter, (laughs) don't barter because it's never going to be what it is because it's going to put you out of business and it did put me out of business, bartering away, you know, for things that I needed that I couldn't afford but you know the contract could cover it and all that kind of stuff. So I learned the hard way, you know, so the digital world really changed everything, even for, for Byron and I, you know, he he started a media company when you know as we talk about platforms and all these multiple platforms he actually for an for uh, an event that he did uh for the uh, um the uh, the black political convention that he put together in uh, Gary Indiana he actually had his comp- his people had to build a real platform a platform for tv people a platform for radio people a platform for uh, print people. I'm talking a real platform like with wood and nails and electrical outlets. I mean, you actually had to build that stuff. There was no internet. And so um, today, I mean, a platform is like, oh, there's so many different platforms you can go on, you know, and it's like, oh, whatever. But, you know, we're talking about almost the dinosaur days right? Yes. You're talking to two dinosaurs here. He's 91 and I'm 71. So, I mean, you know, we're, we're way back.
0: So my next question for you is, is there a moment, is there a story or moment from the creating the newspaper that sticks with you even now?
1: Uh, for when I created the newspaper, is there a moment?
0: Yes. Or a story Uh, that still sticks with you today?
1: Yeah. Uh, uh the story that I shared earlier was about bartering. It's uh, you know, I don't think that uh, I mean it has its place and its moment and its history in our culture, bartering. I mean, I believe that you you can and should barter when you can, if it's beneficial to you or whatever. Well, that was a very pivotal moment. But I would say culturally, um, I think that um I found that um that the the Black community and the the Caribbean community had become more tribal, and that bothered me a lot in that um, now I'm a journalist in New York dealing with uh, stories about our people, but our people were not acting like our people, okay? The Caribbean people don't like the Black American people. The Africans don't like Black people. It's like there's this hate thing going on. It's not, it wasn't, what it was when Byron was uh, just starting out when we were all black together and the agenda was the black agenda. It ain't that way now. And that's what bothered me. And I would say that um, that's still uh, an issue for me that um, we have separated ourselves. We allowed the enemy as we call the man, (laughs) we allowed the man to separate us like that so that we, we should be pulling together rather than separating ourselves. And um, and then I've spoken to some black people that said, sometimes they have to pretend like they're an immigrant black person, like as if they're from another country to be able to get a job or to get over because there is a preference for some reason uh, for um, immigrant black people instead of homegrown black people who've been here for centuries and generations. So that was something that I discovered when I was doing my newspaper, that was a kind of like a, um, a sad thing, you know, that, uh, and I tried to find ways to bring us together. So I had, um, I always had uh, like Black history, Black stories, Black community stories, um, Caribbean stories, the Indian stories, like out of India, I had the cricket and uh, soccer, you know, I tried to have, you know, all of the like sports things, and I tried to You know, um, in terms of the stories that we would publish, I tried to appeal to all of the different groups, but I found that you really can't do that. You have to kind of like focus in order to have a successful publication. Back then, I don't know, maybe it's different now, but um, you had to focus on the niche that you were in. So you had to really focus and stop trying to be everything to everybody. So you know, that was,
0: that was something that stood out for
1: me. Thank you. Yeah. Now, Now, Ms. Lewis, I
0: had one other question for you, just for clarification. So when you realized that uh, you maybe didn't want to necessarily pursue a career in journalism, that was your decision, right? That wasn't necessarily the, the, the times in terms of being a Black person trying to become a reporter. That was personally your decision to, to, to shift.
2: As I told you, I couldn't continue the journalism beyond a part, because I'd be falling asleep (laughs) in the classes. My basic foundation was the reality of what it was like to be Black, working in New York City or trying to do anything in New York City. But I had the opportunities to work all over the country when I was in the military. And right now, I can tell you, many Black people thought, men, that the military was their best shot. Because the military was a lot of things, but it did bring people together, north to south, and also, frankly, white and Black. Because the, we have, I've had friends that, that were in a, like the, um, um, Aviators who I got to know her, the black, oh, the and, black Tuskegee Airmen? Tuskegee Airmen. Right. Mm-hmm. So, frankly, I was very fortunate to have been in the military. I was fortunate to go around the country, as I was fortunate to see what black was like all over. My own people are from Texas, and uh, I knew there was an opportunity. I must tell you that what you learn is where you can fit. And I found out the doors are wide open. A great quote. Yeah. (laughs) Well, they were wide open in a sad way Mm -hmm. because you did find out about this country. Um, The army was a way that many people did get a start. And the Tuskegee Airmen is one example, and I knew them quite well. Mm -hmm. During the military, like when I was in Alaska, and afterward, and uh, I felt that was really my foundation. And that's why I started things that didn't exist. And that was, I've worked for black newspapers that went out of business, I've worked for like radio that hardly existed. And I saw that one of the opportunities is to create media. And so that's mm-hmm. probably in the long run, what I gained out of the different things I was doing.
1: Right, and the dovetail on what Byron was saying too, is that well Byron is not telling you really everything but it's a short, shortened version of it, but he really could not find a job in journalism <laughs> journalism was close to black people at the time, and even when I came into journalism, you know, years later decades after him, it was a struggle. And um, the stories, I know that your theme is storytelling, careers in storytelling. If they did let us in in the journalism field, it was to cover the Black stories. And they only had certain story narratives that they wanted to, uh, you know, the media only wanted certain types of stories from us and about us. And you very rarely, I mean, today we pick up the New York Times and Byron always says, look at the Black people on the cover of the New York Times. That never existed. And if it did, it was always criminals, you know, it was always crime, some negative story about us, but now is pioneers and this and, you know, um, news and fashion and art and this and that food, everything, but um, back in the day the only news that you can get out of the mainstream media were negative stories about us. And we're talking about what Byron was doing with his agency was lifting and, and uh, expanding that whole narrative about who we were, what we were about in our stories, in our narratives. And uh, that's also one of the reasons why, of course, something why I would start a new newspaper was to cover stories that had nothing to do with crime or all of the negative and pathologies and our community yes we have pathologies and we have a lot of bad things happening in our community but we also have a lot of good things happening in our community and not so good things there's a lot of things everything is happening in our community and it's about the stories what stories do you want to tell um and um when i first started out in uh, journalism and i shared this with byron but uh, i was complaining to one of my uh, white allies at the Boston Globe that uh, I was a copy editor at the time and I only got uh, the back uh, inside deep little stories to edit and I wanted to edit uh, cover stories. So I was complaining saying, well, how come I'm not getting any cover stories? And so um, the guy told me, my white friend, he told me, he says, well, you have to act like that we're teaching you something. (laughs) And I was so offended that he said that But, and I told my mother, I remember saying, can you believe that this guy, he's supposed to be my best friend. He told me that, you know, you're a black person. We know you went to college. We know you're smart. We know you know all of this stuff, but you have to act like we're teaching you something. Even though I came there very experienced, right? So my mother said, you better listen to that white man. He's your friend. He's telling you, right? So he's showing you how you have to survive in this newsroom. So I said, okay. And she told me you give your best uh academy award performance so then i went to work the next day and i said the magic what i call my magic question i said oh um i'm not sure how to use a semicolon that's what i said i said i'm not sure about this particular paragraph and whether i should use a semicolon here well that opened up conversations and dialogue and friendships A simple thing like that, which I knew when to use a semicolon, but I just pretended like I didn't know what to use, when to use. And but that just broke the ice for some reason. You know, it was like, well, they just looked at me like at first, oh, she's one of those uppity Negroes from Smith College and oh very educated and so smart oh she thinks she's too much so we're just going to give her a lot of junk stories and believe it or not after that it created like friendships and and dialogues and things and then I started getting more stories I started covering lead stories I even got a promotion I got a special uh being in charge of a whole nother public the Sunday magazine I mean who gets that right and so you know, that's, those are the kinds of things that happen. Like a person like yourself, you're just starting, they may give you little pieces of this and little pieces of that to do. And you never go past that. They just want to say, okay, we have Black people working here, and we just throw them a little bits of things to do, but we're really never going to publish it. Or if we do, it's going to be, you know, how they're going to, it's going to be, you know, redone and redone so that you don't even recognize all your hard work. And that's how they used to wear us down. And so when NABJ started, that's those are the kinds of issues that we would bring up. We would bring up the kinds of stories that they were, that newspapers and news media were covering about us, black people, and the kinds of assignments that we were given and how we were treated, right? And those are the same issues, right, that you that your generation is dealing with. We had the same stupid stupid stuff we had to go through, that we had to pretend like we didn't know, and then we had to then, you know, go along, then they, to make them feel better, make these racist people feel better about themselves, and then they feel like they can be okay with you and give you assignments that would be on par with everybody else. Thank you. Mm -hmm.
0: So, my question, my first question for both of you is, you're both media entrepreneurs in different ways. What is a piece of advice you would have which you, you would give to anyone thinking about creating uh, their own company, wanting to create their own? What advice do each of you have? I, I don't
1: Well you... the best the best advice uh you're asking us the best is... advice since we're both in media, mm-hmm. what would be the advice well, that we would give? I'd like
2: to clarify. Mm-hmm. No, you have to live the life.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: See, I, I dropped out of journalism because I knew I was not going anywhere. Mm -hmm. with it. Mm -hmm. And I must say, being in church, I learned the value of the spoken word Mm -hmm. for me because that's what I ended up doing. Mm -hmm. It was a sad time, but it was a great time because Mm -hmm. nothing existed. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: And I was fortunate to be around great people. I mean, truly great people. And most of it was in Harlem. And I must say that they were my inspiration. Uh, I I was a part of black media activities, and there was never enough advertising to go around. And so I just basically, like Sylvia, I saw opportunities. But I was around great people. People, the first newspaper that I worked for went out of business in Harlem. The second two or three went out of business. And why? Because they couldn't get advertising support. Mm -hmm. But I learned how to tell a story where indeed it was necessary because white people have their attitudes of who black people are and what we're like. Mm -hmm. I spent most of my time explaining the value of our marketplace. Mm -hmm. Uh, I almost went out of business. And it turned out that a friend of mine said, well, you need to talk to another black person. So I created a soap opera on black radio. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. I forget the name of it right now, but it was basically something that was missing. Mm
0: -hmm.
2: And when I was growing up, most of the people I was around, including my parents worked for white people. And they used to have these stories on, and I would hear them talking about their stories, mm-hmm. and I was very fascinated. And then I got a little. I said, "Wait a minute, these are stories about white people, mm-hmm. and yet it was almost like I said." Oh, but the value is, I hear black people talking about their stories. Mm-hmm. Portia faces life. Right. We should Our girls son.
1: Right. We should talk about our own stories. And we have stories too.
2: And so I said to myself at one point, wait a minute, that's not a bad idea. Mm -hmm. And I started a, frankly, the first black radio soap opera. Mm -hmm. And it came at a a unique time because I was going out of business. Mm -hmm. But I also uh, learned to ask people who knew what they were doing. Mm -hmm. And that person was, Charlene. Oh, um, uh, who the one that did the um, the
1: the, the radio show? Yeah. For
2: you. The other thing, you'll find out when you get my age, your memory slips.
1: (laughs) Yeah, but I think that what Byron is saying too is um, is about. when when a failure is not a failure, okay? He talked about all of these businesses that he was involved with and started, and they didn't, they went out of business, but then he started something else. So uh, you learn as you're going. And so, yeah, Chenille-
2: Chenille Perry.
1: Perry, that she was the playwright that um, helped him launch the radio show. Uh,
2: Her um, cousin-
1: Was Lorraine Hansberry. Lorraine Hansberry. So we're talking about people like Langston Hughes. Byron worked with people like Langston Hughes and James Baldwin, and all of these people were working on his magazine that went out of business. So that's what I'm saying. It's like you surround yourself with positive people and people who know what they're doing, who are experienced and want to be involved in that. You know, I think that uh, when you say, "What are the advice you give?" He talked about, I was around great people. He was around Malcolm X. He was around Percy Sutton. He was around um,
2: Everybody the
1: Reverend Wyatt T. Walker. He was uh, around all of these positive people. Civil
2: rights people, but I was around people mm-hmm. who were educated, but fun- fundamentally couldn't get a job working mm-hmm. in white media. Mm-hmm. So create something.
1: Right. See and where there's. I'm some... in
2: business because of... Uh, Sounds of the City, which was the name of my soap Well, that was
1: the name of the soap opera we couldn't remember. Sounds of the City.
2: (laughs) And don't be old.
1: (laughs) Yeah, be old. Why not? It's okay. It's a blessing.
2: Because Mm -hmm. names come to me after we've had the conversation. But I had the opportunity of working for people who wanted to do things. Mm -hmm. And so the first newspaper was a friend of mine who I met. He started a newspaper in Harlem. We didn't last more than a month or two, and other examples like that. Mm-hmm. And the truth is that you learn from that, right? And I found out that the solution for the black community was one magazine, and that was Ebony.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And and they had Jet, but I got to be very good friends with John Johnson, mm-hmm. and he told me a little secret. I don't know if I should tell you this or not. Yeah, tell her. Please. He mm-hmm. said, you know, John Johnson was a little bit older than I was. And he said, Byron, if you want to be successful, find more women.
1: Mm-hmm. Black women, he said.
2: Black women. Black I didn't women. I didn't have to say yeah. black women. That's what
1: he said. That's the, the secret to his
2: success. And Why he took a liking a, to me? He said, "How come, Mister Lewis? I was Mister then. Mm-hmm. How come you had all these jobs?" Now I lied. Me, the, the media went out of business. Mm-hmm. I said because I wanted to learn. Mm-hmm. And he just chuckled. <laughs> he mm-hmm. said, "Son, now he's almost as old. As I was. I was almost as old." As was. Mm-hmm. I'm going to tell you the secret. He mm-hmm. said, "When you come to Chicago next." Let's have an early breakfast and be in front of, the biz- of my building. Yes,
1: yeah, sit in the lobby. And, and watch this is the
2: first mm-hmm. major black business. Mm-hmm. Ebony Magazine downtown, was the first one. Downtown mm-hmm. in Chicago. Right on the lake. The only black business mm-hmm. of any size. Mm-hmm. And he had it. it was Ebony headquarters. Mm-hmm. And he said, I'll tell you the secret to my success. And a secret to your success, if you choose to go into business, mm-hmm. he said, you will see that black women will be the backbone of your business. He
1: said, hire black women. That's what and he, he said.
2: told me, I'll show you what I mean. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and he said, come to the office early. Mm-hmm. We'll have breakfast and sit. And in then the we'll sit in front of my building.
1: Sit in the lobby.
2: And what we saw and, watched the and what I saw was the fact, just as he said, the women came to work on time. And early too. On time. Mm-hmm. And then the brothers would come, and they would be well-dressed, attaché case, half hour, sometimes later. Mm-hmm. He Lee. said, now come upstairs with me, son. Mm-hmm. And so naturally, I'm used to talking to Black elders. Mm -hmm. And he said, this is my office. This is my mother whose furniture I sold to To be in business. business." She believed in me, Mr. Johnson said. Mm -hmm. My wife, my daughter, and two or three other people. Mm -hmm. And he said, not only is it that I provide a job, but they appreciate effort. Mm -hmm. And I've found that to be the case throughout my career. Mm -hmm. The majority of my staff has been over the years, black females, Mm -hmm. and I'll tell you why. They appreciate the fact that I was doing it. Mm -hmm. There were many times when I wasn't sure I would be in business, Mm -hmm. but the majority of my staff has always been three quarters, female. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't be in business for Sounds of the City, if two women didn't decide to help me. Mm -hmm. And one was the lady that worked for me, who kept the doors open through many tricks, Josephine Mm Penzes. But uh, Chanel, Ryan Perry
1: is.
2: she said Mr. Lewis
1: <laughs> he likes the image you <laughs> you
2: you obviously don't know how to write a presentation for this idea that you have and <laughs> she
1: <laughs> said she held it up like what is this you know said, this is your idea
2: <laughs> and she said and she said you obviously don't know how to do a soap opera for radio <laughs> and then she did this and you surely don't know how to She
1: just <laughs> was looking at it like it was like it was a disease. Like this is your idea, this is what you think is a treatment. Bless her heart.
2: But she said and, she was great. and but it all that didn't phase me because <laughs> she knew that coming in. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it turned out that she was right. Mm-hmm. because women, just like John Johnson, women were very important to him. Mm-hmm. I learned the same. Mm-hmm. And so I created a soap opera
0: mm-hmm.
2: about Black life and experience. Mm-hmm. I, I'm no genius.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: If, if Black women were working for white people
0: mm-hmm. and
2: they were talking about their stories,
0: mm-hmm.
2: our gals, Cindy, and so mm-hmm. forth, I said, well, why don't I do that?
0: Mm-hmm.
2: No, I did not know how to do it, <laughs> but I knew people who did know how to do it, and they happened to be females. Mm-hmm.
1: So that's the that's a good lesson that Byron always shares about when you when you ask people when young people like yourself ask people like Byron or even me, what advice do you give you know to people coming up like yourself, young people, is to do that, surround yourself with people who know and experience. So surround yourself with people who are positive and are encouraging and you know, trying to support and go for <laughs> you. And, and don't don't be afraid of making mistakes and failing, because even if it fails, you learn so much, you gain so much, and it sets you for the next thing. And you know, you're really ready for the next opportunity that's probably gonna be bigger, and which it was for Mr. Lewis. Everything was, everything that happened, happened in a bigger way in the next stage of it. And so all kinds of things, you know, from the agency to marketing to stories to productions, film festival, other things, TV shows, all kinds of things he did.
0: And would you say the same thing for yourself and everything that you've done as well?
1: Definitely, I think that's uh, how I ended up um, what I did with my film festival. It was a culmination of already, I was already a journalist and a master storyteller. So it's this, and I had produced a film already and I wanted to help, um, I wanted to do more films and and, uh, support more filmmakers. And so that was the perfect way. And it was, uh, well, my thing was short films. Because I'm at that stage of life, but I don't have, I, you know, I'm like I don't have that much patience for these two-hour full features and stuff. So I like short films. So that's happens to be my thing. That's what I like. And but there are other people they the like. He can
2: tell you where you found out about so
1: But he was the master filmmaker. Uh, film festival. I created
2: the first he, black film. He,
1: yeah, he created the first black film. The first first black American film festival. And so that was my uh, inspiration. And I did that um, during co- uh, the pandemic. And I invented it, um, as I said in the interview that I did, I invented it while I was sitting on a roof in in uh, quarantine because we couldn't go out, we couldn't leave our house. And I was feeling isolated and I wanted to connect with other people and other creative, other creatives and hear more stories and learn stories and share stories. And, um, and I really felt that it was beyond uh, writing a story because I'm a I'm a print journalist mostly, and so. But I I wanted to expand more with the films, with films and um, the other area that I like is theater. And you may know that Byron and I are you know have done um, help produce theatrical productions too. So we like storytelling in all of its phases from writing uh commercials, advertising, marketing, to filmmaking, to theater productions, to music, through dance, through food. You know, we we see storytelling in a lot of ways that, um, you know, somebody who's very who hasn't opened their mind, you don't really see that um like he's always saying, oh, look at the meal, take a picture of your meal that you cook. It'd be Caribbean with Creole food. And I would say, yeah, it's like a history story on the plate. And when you look at, or, you know, you looked at the uh, the gumbo, or you look at, you know, the fried okra, the collard greens, or the pizza rice, all of the things that is on the plate in 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 our house is a story about our culture and our history and all of that. So we see, and if, even in styles, in, the, in theater and, and dance and music, it's uh, we saw um, we saw this piece uh, the other night about uh, Sam Cooke, remember? And he he's singing, and it's during a, you know the civil rights era. It's a nice uh, uh you know documentary about him, but it brings you to the era that we're at in, uh that he was at when he was singing. So everything in terms of the theme of your shows is uh, storytelling careers. There are a lot of stories in everything that you do. And it's a matter, it's it's an opportunity for you to find how to tell those stories.
2: Now, first, you got to find the need for your story. Mm -hmm. Now, I have the advantage of being 71 years old.
1: 91, I'm
2: 71. 91. ah, I thought you were going (laughs) to. You would. You would nest it all up. That was
0: that was smooth. I like that. Yeah. I like that. I like how you did that there.
2: No, I'm 91. I <laughs> know. And I've been around greatness. In his mind, he's 71. <laughs> what was missing in my generation was opportunity. But mm-hmm. I was in Harlem. Mm-hmm. I saw greatness mm-hmm. every day. Mm-hmm. My my position. Right now, I'm impressed with everything I see that's going on. I don't think it's as easy as, frankly, in my case,
1: because
2: mm-hmm. there was nothing.
1: Yeah, you're right. There's too much opportunity. So the question now. I have
2: mm-hmm. is, what's needed, mm-hmm. and, and where is that it? Out. Excuse me, and where mm-hmm. is that needed at? Mm-hmm. Uh, you look for opportunity around you, mm-hmm. and the truth is. I have thoughts now about things to do, mm-hmm. because I also look at what's not going well. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I was around people who solved problems. Mm-hmm. I think that's very difficult these days, mm-hmm. like what you do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, yeah. but that's the point, Yeah, the fact that you want to do something, mm-hmm. and you will. Mm-hmm.
1: And you are, right? Yes. By doing this, you are, because you're bringing stories, other people's stories, to your organization, to um, hear from people who have been doing things. And um, that's how we learn. As Byron said, he learned from his um, elders and also from his... Um, and from
2: white people.
1: Yeah. uh huh. That's true, because it, it's I true created... you don't have to re- reinvent the wheel.
2: I created something because I love sports, Mm -hmm. I love entertainment, I used to think I could sing once, Mm -hmm. but then you look around, there's a lot of opportunity. Mm -hmm. That's the other thing, but it's also, you have to find out what's needed. Mm
1: -hmm. And then what? Then work your ass off, right? (laughs) He, you know, he did this speech before. Find out what's needed and then work your ass off. That's what I've heard him say to to young entrepreneurs. Because this is definitely an entrepreneurial time where you can set the tone. You can set the direction. If you see what direction needs to be, you know, needs that people need to go in, that the, you know, that needs to be explored, you can do it.
0: Okay. Well, I've got one more question for you both.
1: That's
0: both. Yes. Okay. Now I'm not sure how familiar you both are with the term couples goals, but that's what you two are as well as couples goals. Yes. And, uh, as well as black love goals. So my next question to you is how did you, or how do you balance your work responsibilities and married life? What matters to, uh, most between the both of you now?
2: Well, that's sort of interesting. It's not necessarily that we like each other. It's, you know, I, I, I'm not interested in women's shows. I don't feel like a lady told me a long time ago. <laughs> I don't know. I think you have to look for something that's missing, something that's needed. I mean, there's so many things, but I'm not conversant with them because I think my time was different. There was nothing during my time. In my mind now, is so many things that I see black people doing things I never would have believed. And entertainment, maybe politics is something that's still needed.
1: Right, we're still like, a, we're, I would say that in terms that she was asking about love goals and couples mm-hmm. goals and stuff mm-hmm. like that, We we're so old school And we don't really know what you're talking about. (laughs) She said, couples goals as a couple, me and you as a goal. And we We, we separate our work life from our professional life. See, we don't separate it, you know, because we're both retired people. So our whole life is our our lives together. So, you know, and then, but we do a lot of things together and we collaborate on some things. Like I said, we actually... uh, co-produced a uh, off-broadway show so we did that and we worked on that together but you know and what was that called
0: uh what was that what was the name of that show
1: it was called on Kentucky Avenue okay and it was um what did what did they call it's, it it's
2: it's a show built around Atlantic City mm-hmm. and Atlantic, it's a chitlin
1: circuit type show and you Atl- know what the chitlin circuit is
2: Yes, yes, and the and the reason is I used to work in Atlantic City, mm-hmm. and I used to go I, what twice, but the mm-hmm. first time was because I needed the money, and some people were going down there, and Atlantic City was like Hollywood practically with all the entertainers, mm-hmm. so we had friends and we recreated
1: mm-hmm.
2: what it would be like mm-hmm. to be in Atlantic City, and then suddenly. Some person it was a, who happens to be white, right, and breaks it up because they want to take him to Hollywood,
1: right. And it's a mu. It was a musical, basically. Yeah, it was a, a '60s musical, mm-hmm. and it took place in and at on on um, uh, what was the name of the club in in um, Atlantic City? It didn't exist. Yeah, so. well, it was a, a fictional club, but it's basically like the Apollo. What the Apollo before the Apollo was the Apollo. So if we did that. And we've done, uh, you know, but right now we're just like, you know, home together and we're, you know, um, you know, we're a couple and we're
2: talking about her. Yeah, she's saying. You have to look at your life and look at everything else is going on. Right. And be open Mm -hmm. and be open Mm -hmm. and be open Mm -hmm. to see what's needed in your mind. And you never know.
1: Right. But so as a couple, uh, she wants to know us as a couple, what we do to balance. Oh, we just
2: explained it.
1: Yeah, to balance our um, professional life and well, our personal life. Right. We, I, we're old school. We don't do anything, really. Uh, we, we just we like, do... support each other. Whatever he's doing, I support it. Whatever mm. I'm doing, he supports it. You know, he's not complaining like my ex You know, like, oh, what are you doing? Oh, it's taking up all your time, you know, whatever. No, he's not like that. He's Mm -hmm. like, whatever you're doing is fine. He's And and what do you say? What did I say to you then?
2: See, I don't even know what you're talking about. That's what I (laughs) said. Okay. And, And... And then I do what I'm told.
1: You hear what he said?
2: <laughs> yes, yes. Okay.
1: And he tells people that. He says, oh, I'm Sylvia's slave. Whatever she tells me to do, I'll do it. I do oh, it.
0: Okay. Gotcha. Well, thank you both. I'd uh, <laughs> like, like to say thank if
2: you. If I ever you. could help you, uh-huh. I'd be glad to. Yes. Okay. If there's, something, thank you. If there's something that I know, mm-hmm. but I do know about hard work. Mm-hmm. and imagination mm-hmm. there we go that's okay a good, that's, and that's that's a let me be honest
0: yeah and never yes. ask me anything about women i don't know anything about women <laughs> <laughs> okay all right well let me let me wrap this up so we we like to thank uh thank you mr byron lewis and mrs sylvia lewis both for joining us for this episode a special thank you to our guests If you like what you heard, please give the sidebar a great review. A reminder that the opinions heard in this episode are of the guests and do not reflect the views of the New York Association of Black Journalists. For more information on NYABJ, please visit www.nyabj.org. Music is by Lindsay Crabs.